Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. All up in her DMs. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were wondering what you were just listening to, Yo Gotti, a rapper who has zero money or record sales, made a song called Down in Your DMs where he slides a message into your direct message box. Selena knows all about that. People are always going into her DMs and she ignores them. But no, this song has been stuck in my head for. 28 to 36 hours. Thank you for playing it because now it's going to be there. 28 to 36? Down in your DMs. <laughs> but fun fact about Yo Gotti, he mentions Angela Simmons in here and oh, says yes. that he's going to slide into her DMs. Well, guess what? They went out on a date. He, no. shot, he, sh- he shot his shot and it worked. Yes. He didn't, they didn't go on a date. Yes, I think that did. she definitely friend zoned him. Nope. I've been following her Instagram account. Nope. He's down in her DMs. Oh, goodness. Well, we're back, guys. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. My name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz on the PC Ones and Twos. And Alyssa Fuchs here is our legal correspondent. And, guys, like I said, we just wrapped up. Well, we're about to wrap up the year 2015. <laughs> it was such a good year for me. I'm like, you know, I went to Paris. I went to some. I went to, um, where did I go in the summer? It was some, It was not Jamaica. It was. She don't even know. Grand, oh, the Grand Cayman Island. No, no, no. It, it was such a really good year. And um, we had a lot of victories overall throughout the nation. But then there was a lot of downfalls and a lot of backlash, a lot of protests. Mets lost to the Royals and the Royal Cherries. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, what we're going to start off talking about. Um, just the LGBT movement and the victories that happened. I mean, we had everything from Caitlyn Jenner, who is actually being named Barbara Walters' most fascinating person of what? 2015. There yes. are way more fascinating people. Than Caitlyn Jenner? Yes. What do you, I mean, that's, like, what listen, do you, what do you think, think about that? Uh, you know, th- yeah, there's a lot of fascinating people, you know. Yeah. And who, well, who's fa- <laughs> who, who is more fascinating yeah. than somebody who else? Who would you pick? It's completely, it's completely subjective, right? It's, yeah. You're going to find one person fascinating that I'm not and vice versa. Well, here's my thing. Can we talk about this for a second? Yeah, sure. Okay. So here's my thing. I don't like the all the praise that Caitlyn Jenner is getting. Well, I if I, I find it to be problematic because I feel like people are doing it to make a political statement because it's a safe political statement. It's like when people start talking about equal pay, but they were only talking about it for one group of people. And Caitlyn, Caitlyn Jenner, like, fits a certain, like, you know, fits a certain demographic where it's like, oh, we can say how beautiful she is and, and whatnot, but then say Serena Williams looks like a man. Well, you know, here's my And also, thing about she's it. not that good of a per- person. No, I mean, her, whether she's that good of a person is debatable. <laughs> but what I will say about it is, it, like, it's definitely for better or for worse and despite Caitlyn's privilege which I think she's now starting to recognize it has definitely brought trans issues into the forefront this year we had the release of Amazon series Transparent Um, you had that uh, was before her though well that was slightly before her but at the beginning of 2015 and now the second season had just came out you had Laverne Cox and Orange is the New Black who was before her uh, who was before her and then you had Caitlyn Jenner Um, and I think those three things really pushed the trans issue into the forefront and um as you know, much as people like to hate on Caitlyn Jenner because of the fact, and especially trans people, because of the fact that she's had a lot of privilege and hasn't had to go through the things that these a lot of these women have had to go through. At the same time, she's helped to make the issue more prevalent, and so you know you can't you can't knock that, right? No. So she's sort of now using her privilege and her position of privilege and power to bring these issues to light to people who don't have a voice, and I think that's commendable for what it's. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that she's getting a lot of. L- Awards for this she, woman of the year. She was given. But I'm the, not talking um, about the rewards she's getting. And like, I just, I, I think that her politics are still. 
I, don't, I think her politics are still very problematic and that she's not necessarily on the side of the LGBT community when it doesn't affect her. So go ahead, Samin, I'm sorry. Um, guys, I just wanted to say, if you want to chime into uh, this little debate we're having, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, we're talking about the LGBT movement, victories, and Caitlyn Jenner has definitely been at the forefront of a lot of LGBT issues this year. And I want to say that it was kind of like, for her to say like she's just now realizing her privilege, I mean, like as a white man, as when she lived her life as a white man, it's like, how did you not, as a rich white man, right. I don't understand how you just lived in a world where you were just 100% oblivious to all of this privilege. And then when she decided to transition, it's like, y- but, you know. You know, but here's the other thing. And that's sort of a good segue into the bigger news that happened right. this year about the gay marriage issue, which is a lot of people in the trans community sort of felt out, left out of that victory. It was like, oh, people are celebrating, you know, this, that, and the third. And, you know, it's great that same-sex marriage is going to become legal. Um, but, you know, trans people are constantly being left out of that conversation. So, you know, at the same time, you had these two, like, competing tracks um, going on where, you know, you had um, both, like, on one one hand, like, the visibility of same-sex marriage with the Supreme Court decision, which was a huge victory. At the same time, the trans community being like, we feel excluded from that. And then the rise of, you know, trans issues be going much more mainstream. Um, I mean, yeah. like like I said, for better or for worse, you can love or hate Caitlyn Jenner. Um, you could feel however you want to feel about mm. her. But at the same time, like, trans issues really are sort of coming into the forefront, especially after the marriage decision. I mean, we, just to give you a throwback, we did a whole segment on, bath, on the bathroom issue, which you should definitely listen we to, just need to pee. Um, if you want to check out that show that we've I hate, done. I hate no. to say it, but you're right, Alyssa. No, we're having the conversation because of Caitlyn Jenner right now. Um, we have a caller on the line, Patricia, who would like to let her voice be heard. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm calling because I'm really a little confused about the trans issue when it comes to the ladies' bathrooms. Because, you know, women who are real women... Things like we have far as, are we going to forget that we have the physical part, our menstrual, our cramps, uh, childbirth, all that? Is that irrelevant? I'm actually going to direct you back to listen to our uh, previous show on that. We've discussed that issue at length. And since this is our wrap-up show for the end of the year, we unfortunately don't have time to really get into the details of that. Um, But we have discussed that issue at length. We had people on to discuss um, exactly that. So I direct you back to our We Just Need to Pee show from earlier in the year. And it it definitely addresses that issue. Um, And it's a great resource and great place to start. And if you want more information about that issue, you should definitely check out um, some of the, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, the Trevor project has some great issue great information about um the bathroom issue as well as the we just need to pee campaign all right so thanks for um for calling in and i was just going to say that like we should remember that the differentiation between men's and women's bathroom was not done because there was such like differences in in body parts it was an issue of superiority what men did in the bathroom was like women couldn't have access to well, thank you for clearing that up, Stanley. And I also wanted to highlight something that Alyssa touched upon, and that was the Supreme Court decision back on June 26th of this year when the Supreme Court said that states can no longer ban same-sex marriage. Um, that was one of the, the biggest victories in the gay rights movement, um, and it was a landmark decision. So I feel like, you know, we the, I, I think that when it came to this year, the LGBT movement and community, we had, like, some backlash when we saw what happened in Kentucky. 
but um, right, um with Kim Davis. Right, with Kim Davis. Um, but then again, we had like these larger victories that a lot of people have been applauding, and you know, it's just like what. So what's next in the movement? What, right. Where should we go now? Uh, I mean, that's a, something I kind of want to save my comments on to our second segment because we're going to talk about sort of projections, and I think that what happens in the next election is going to have a big impact on some of uh, the things that we see that come out of the gay marriage decision and issues with trans people. Right. Um, so I will reserve comment on that. Uh, prompt me at the second half of our show when we're talking about projections. Got you. So talking about movements and victories, we have to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, which was so prevalent in the year 2015. We also had a long in-depth discussion about the Black Lives Matter movement a few months ago, uh, where we asked the question, is this movement effective in advocating for criminal justice and police reform? What is it that they want? Because a lot of times when we see what's going on in different parts of the of the country, it seems almost scattered it's not like one accord there's no uh leadership uh per se but it's like you know people organizing and just doing things doing things very locally but then when we have like different uprisings and different things that make national news uh, such as the Tamir Rice case the Freddie Gray case etc cetera, etc cetera, then you see people sort of coming uh, together on one accord but I think that if we look at this movement compared to 2015 the the Black Lives Matter movement did I mean, they made waves this year. When we think about how those two black women overtook and hijacked Bernie Sanders' podium a few months ago, I mean, I didn't necessarily agree with that strategy or tactic, but it got something done. It got Bernie Sanders, it got Hillary Clinton, it got the Democratic candidates running in, in the 2016 case talking about these issues and putting it at the forefront of their campaign. I would push back on that some. I don't think that got that done. I think when they when they did that at Netroots, that's what got it done. And I think that the action um, in Seattle was, it was unnecessary. You, you, didn't, you didn't agree when they overtook like, his podium. Well, that's just my point of view. It's not to say that it's wrong, but yeah, like I just, because I felt once at the Netroots, there was a very visible change in the language and the rhetoric used by all three of those candidates, including Bernie Sanders. Now what it did maybe, and I'll give this credit for, is that like it forced Bernie Sanders to like roll out his um, civil rights or criminal justice um, policy faster than he wanted to. But those changes were already happening. Honestly, I thought I didn't, I didn't think that it was the wisest move. I thought the resources could have been used like for something different. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, and I'm not going to even address that. I don't want to wade into the fray on that, but I do want to step back for a second and just talk about how the movement has brought policing issues uh, really into the forefront, sort of in the same vein that you know certain. Certain people help to bring trans issues into the forefront, as we talked about, like at, during the last part of our segment. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement did help bring these issues of policing into the forefront for sure, because you know issues with policing have been going on for a long time. I'm sure you heard this week, and this sort of like a news-ish story that one of the officers who was responsible for the killing of Amadou Diallo, who was shot 41 times, yes. is now being promoted, right? Yeah. And um, so, police. And I bring that up because police killings uh, by the police have. Uh, so police killings of black people by the, eh, that's redundant have been going on for a long long time you know we had Sean Bell and you had Amadou Diallo and I don't know if you remember that Abner guy Luima. Abner Louima he mm -hmm. was not killed but he was sodomized in a bathroom at a precinct and then the police tried to cover it up and those 
issues got traction then, but then people stopped really talking about them. Even like Rodney King. I mean, there was like the L.A. riots, and then that was 1992. And yet from 1992 until 2015, you continue to have these issues, and they're not in the forefront. Now in 2015, you know, maybe it's because cameras are becoming a lot more ubiquitous, and so a lot of these things are being caught on camera now. So between the cameras and the publicization of these issues by the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you're starting to see a lot more traction. For example, the Justice Department is going to settle with the city of Ferguson. That was just announced this week. Um, and they're going to institute a whole bunch of reforms to try and fix some of the policing. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes a bad event um, and, you know, an unfortunate event can lead to things getting a lot more traction. And, you know, you don't want to necessarily have that kind of event to get that kind of traction. But definitely combining these events with the movement, you've seen a lot more movement. And I can say that from my own perspective as a civil rights attorney who's been working on these issues for a while. Yeah, and then guys, if you want to call in with a question or comment, the number is 212-650-6903. I also want to credit Black Lives Matter because without the pressure that Black Lives Matter has really put on a police state and on elected officials, we may not see an atmosphere right now where Rahm Emanuel may be forced to resign from his position as mayor of Chicago. And we those that video of those cops killing that young man, Laquan McDonald, that video may have never come out. Black Lives Matter, no matter how, like, no matter what you think about, like, all their tactics, they have forced the issue and forced the conversation that we're having. So much that even President Obama has finally come out and started to make some comments about Black Lives Matter. There was one uh, press event where he actually explained that Black Lives Matter is not anti-police, but they're more so just putting a spotlight on police uh, brutality okay. and put in, and putting a spotlight on police accountability in our country, something that has never really took taken place. So I think that like, no, like, like Stanley and Alyssa have said, this when it like comes to Black Lives Matter, they have definitely made a lot of progress when it comes to advocating for these issues and getting our elected officials to comment and to make changes. This is like the second coming of like the civil rights movement. Definitely. And it's definitely like keeping moving forward. And for a long time, these, these things have been going on, you know, since the 1950s, since Jim Crow. And yet they did not get the attention that other issues have gotten. And like I said, I credit the movement. I also credit the widespread use of cameras. And I'm not necessarily saying police body cameras. Just the fact that people are out there and they're filming the police and they're saying, you know, we're going to hold you accountable for the actions that you take because, yes, you are... Um, you know, a public servant. And yes, you do a dangerous job. At the same time, you also have to make sure that the way you act and the way you treat other people is in line with our constitutional standards, um, you know, and that we're not just having police running around being the judge, jury and executioner all at once. No, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And I think that um, it's even affected us and our nation psychologically. Like I know for a fact that, you know, I'm always being watched and you can't really get away with things in our world. And I'm trying to think police officers have to start to try to take a step back and look at themselves and say that, you know, me mistreating somebody or abusing somebody will get me in trouble. You know what I have not been a fan of what? this year? And I actually brought, brought it to my attention with South Park, outrage culture. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is just that, like, you can get crucified or murdered. I'm, I'm being like, I'm happy. I mean, hyperbolic, but like you can really like lose it all because of some comments, whether it be a joke or something misinterpreted, people will go all out for you. So I'll give you an example of something that, I, in my opinion, I thought it was like outrage culture. So someone was saying that um, black women matter, right? So some white guy at Stanford said black women matter, but they're not that hot. Mm, he was suspended kidding? for two years from the school. 
Hold on, hold on. So you're saying this was an administrator or a student? Who, who was this person? This was a student. A student yeah. was suspended. For two years. Yeah, that's a little ridiculous. That is over the top. Yes, the, but the, well, but these schools are responding like that because they're afraid that things are going to go crazy. Or there's another one where it's a student, he asked for a fee waiver to go to um, NYU. And the administrator wrote back and said, hey, listen, um, we're happy you want to come here, but if you can't afford like the $65 fee waiver, like maybe you should take a sec back because tuition here is over $60,000 a year and we don't offer that much scholarship. So he went on Twitter and shared the letter and started having people bash the, um, the administrator. And now he's going to go to NYU for free. So here's my thing about that. Maybe the administrator shouldn't have said that, but he's right. What do you want to happen? Right. I mean, well, that's the thing. We even saw some of this happen um, at Stanford University, and we had a little debate here a few weeks ago when we talked about how the students there are advocating to get Woodrow Wilson completely removed right. from that. the school and his legacy. And the thing is, like, he Woodrow Wilson was president during a time when um, civil rights was n- a non-issue. Like, it was legal. T- segregation was legal. So, and I think that he was a man of the times, and he did found he did help found the school, and he did do a lot of things for that establishment there. But they were like, you know what? His legacy is tainted. I think we should talk about it. But to say to re- completely remove his image from like the cafeteria and these buildings, I, di- I I didn't know if that was necessary. Right. I mean, listen, I agree with you. I I don't like the outrage culture either. I mean, like there has to be. You know, people get into this debate about, like, are we too PC versus not wanting to be, uh, you know, like overly PC, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the Confederate flag came down, which was warranted. The gay flag in some ways went up. And you know what? We do have to make sure that we're not being overly PC because we want to have a, a, you know, be able to have frank and honest discussions. That's why I like being able to have conversations with you guys. I mean, because Stanley and I can have a conversation and we can say things that aren't so PC, maybe not on the air. But, you know, we can have that conversation without having to worry that we're going to offend each other. But but not everybody can do that. But that's why we like to understand each other, because we're not afraid to have honest conversations. But, guys, we do have to go on a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about more of the biggest things from 2015. This is what of the biggest dance moves of 2015. Only dance moves I know how to do. Look at my dad. Look at my dad. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The, the Voice, Voice of, of Harlem. Harlem. Listen, girl, my hip is sore. Help us out by giving WHCR $30 for 30 for 30 because if you love us, show us it's real. Selena? There is no correlation between your hurt hip and them giving donations. So make sure you say it's for Let Your Voice Be Heard <laughs> Radio. Yeah, thank you, Alyssa. She knows what the skinny is. All right, guys, so we're back. We are talking about all the biggest issues and topics of 2015. This is our annual year in review here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we have a comment from one of our bigger supporters in 2015. Whether you love us or hate us, as long as you listen, we love you back. We have Miss Deborah on the line who would like to let her voice be heard about one of the stories we were talking about, Black Lives Matter. Miss yeah. Deborah. How are you? Listen, just in case, you know, like with the issue with uh, Princeton, okay? Instead of you wanting, no, I'm not saying you should erase history, but right next to what he was about, you should, I mean, what, what people think that he was about, you should put next to who he really was. And you should, because the next generation that's coming, they will really believe that this man is a fine, upstanding person. And if someone says, oh, no, he wasn't, he was this, he was that, he was the other, you should explain why you're saying this. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You should explain, because there are a lot of, there are a lot of um, um, 
there are a lot of uh, statues, even through Central Park, that have people who have done horrible things to people, but nobody knows who they are. Right. No, I, we agree with you there. I do think that we need to be transparent about our history here in the United States, about slavery, and stop whitewashing everything. You're right, Woodrow Wilson, as along with a number of our presidents and elected officials and leaders who we put on this hero level, were a part of that slave culture. I know we got to move on, but I just want to say Woodrow Wilson was not just a man of his times. He was an exceptional racist. He was above and beyond the the line of the call of duty for racism. He was a, a bigger piece of crap as you could be in that time. Time period. Let's be very clear about that. Right. And Hopefully, I, he's burning in hell. We definitely should educate people. Like that's the key, right? Which is not to erase it, not to ignore it, is to address it. And you address it through education and through you know telling people about the history that they should know about. Right. Exactly. All right. So we're moving right along. Again, we had a great year, but something that wasn't too great, or at least was very nuanced to say the least, was immigration reform um, in the year 2015. Now. The reason why immigration reform was so big was Donald Trump. He kept talking about it as soon as he launched his um, <clears throat> presidential campaign in, tw- in June 2016. He was making these remarks, anti-immigrant remarks. But I'm going to push back on that because I don't think that's exactly why immigration reform became such a big issue this year. I think it became a big issue this year because of the migrant crisis with all the children that were coming from Central America. Um, now, I don't know if you remember that. That was, you know. A while, it seems like a while back, although that was that was earlier this year. Uh, there was a large influx of um, children, women and children coming from South American countries. They were trying to escape war, t- you know, the war, uh, drug war and other things that were going on. And we had basically a crisis at the border. Now, obviously, that may have actually triggered Donald Trump's comments, but I think it's the other way around. I don't think Donald Trump's crisis comments triggered like immigration. I feel like the big thing people really started talking about immigration because of the migrant crisis and then of course immigration reform failed well the migrant crisis happened in the summer of 2014 that's when a lot of um children came without parents undocumented children were coming from honduras el salvador and these central american countries and crossing the border themselves and we had you know there was definitely a lot of big to do about it but then when donald trump again launched his campaign in 2016 the first thing he said is we have these mexicans coming over here they're rapists they're they're drug um, they're, they're drug dealers and they're coming into us and just spreading this this fear that we should fear these the other. We should fear these immigrants. And I think that even I mean, the surge did it sort of peaked in November a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think that for the most part, immigration reform almost fell flat in this country. We had Black Lives Matter. We had LGBT. But when it came to in- immigration, it kind of fell under the radar. And it was unfortunate because President Obama did have his executive orders in 2014, which was actually going to stop up to 5 million undocumented people living here in the U.S. from being deported. These are our workers. These are our friends, our neighbors. They have families. They are, you know, they are part of our society and our community. And Obama finally took a stance on it, but he got so much pushback on that. So, again... When it came to immigration reform, we did see it, I think, in a negative light. We saw it was very, it was almost like he was raising a lot of red flags. Right, it didn't happen. But anytime we were talking about immigrants, it happened to be because of something Donald Trump said. 
Yes and no. Like I said, I think there was other relevant issues that came into play uh, during that conversation about immigration and immigration reform, because I feel like Donald Trump didn't really come onto the scene so much with his comments until midway through the year when the election cycle really started gearing up, at least at the beginning of 2015, like the first three, four months of the year, like January through like April. uh, That was sort of prior to kind of incendiary remarks being made by Donald Trump. Stanley, what are your thoughts, comments on immigration reform in 2015? Well, it's been a pretty interesting year as far as immigration reform because we had that entire situation where we had a lot of children coming from Southern America and Central America, and everyone was saying, oh, we've got to solve this problem, we've got to help these kids, but then they didn't want to put any legislation forward that would help these families out. And then all of a sudden you had another situation where people were arguing about Syrian refugees and whether we should bring people in. And then that conversation just kind of died. Then Donald Trump jumps into the forefront and he starts calling Mexicans criminals and rapists and killers. And all of a sudden the conversation is back. But now it's really showing the xenophobic side of America. We have a really nuanced, we've had a really nuanced conversation or argument so, so to speak, about immigration this year. And it's left me nothing but frustrated. Oh, yeah, definitely very frustrated, especially because Congress refuses to do anything. I mean, when it comes to guns and immigration, Congress just takes a hands-off approach. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely speaking about other domestic issues, I think the gun issue is a really great example of absolute inaction, despite the fact that poll numbers show something like 92% of Americans, including gun owners and people who are not gun owners but shoot guns for sport um, or for hunting that don't, don't necessarily own them, support those kind of background checks and expanding the national instant background check and yet as you know we've done several shows throughout the course of this year <laughs> where there's been several different shootings that have happened and uh, sometimes we almost feel like it's repetitive but we keep trying to address the same issue and, and right. again nothing gets done I think one time I said that the hashtag was because Congress right and we had a good joke yeah. about that right. and and on the other flip side of that the one thing that you did actually see get done this year was the budget got passed for right. once this this was after at the beginning of the year we had all these near you know, following 2014's government shutdown at the beginning of 2015, you had all these near misses with, are they going to raise the debt ceiling? Are they going to do a long term budget? And then finally, uh, just recently, you saw that an actual budget was passed and it is going to be signed into law. And unfortunately, we don't have time to get into a longer conversation about what I'm going to mention right now. But it turns out that within this budget, there's actually a surveillance provision that sort of reinstated part of the Patriot Act that like nobody knows about and nobody's really talking about. If you want to know more about that, definitely go look it up because we don't have time to get into it. Um, So it's sort of like the good and the bad because we had the whole like Edward Snowden conversation last year, 2014, and then the Patriot Act like expired. That was this year in 2015. And now it turns out that parts of it are being reinstated because they were inserted into the budget bill that just passed last week. Comments on the budget, Stanley, before I segue? Like not necessarily the budget, but just like America really reminds me of the the book 1984 by George Orwell. It's it's so scary how similar it is sometimes. In regards to the budget, I was really surprised the budget passed. And then when I heard what was in it, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Well, it, it was definitely a compromise. Kudos to Paul Ryan, our new speaker of the House, because as he said it, you know, this is what democracy looks like we didn't get everything we wanted democrats didn't get everything we wanted but we were we managed to pass the bill it was signed into law and there was no government shutdown whereas last year and in 2013 at this time there was gridlock in congress but something finally made a way and um speaking of surveillance something that Alyssa just brought up i wanted to talk about muslim surveillance isis islamophobia because that was one of the biggest issues of 2015 we had those three muslim students who were shot and killed in chapel hill They were college students, and this white man 
shot and killed them. We have Donald Trump talking about we need to ban every Muslim from coming into um, our country, no matter if they're fighting against ISIS. There are more Muslims who are fighting against ISIS and who are being killed by ISIS. But still, we have, again, all of these Islamophobic remarks and sentiment in our country. And we've seen all these attacks on mosques and Sikh temples. I mean, it's just getting ridiculous. And I, 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 I feel for them because it's like you can't even wear a hijab without being discriminated against on the subway. And on top of which, we have sort of this underlying hypocrisy, right? And this is where um, we start to tie together the issue of like religion, gay marriage, the thing we talked about at the beginning of the segment, and this issue, which is, you know, it's like we have freedom of religion, but, you know, apparently freedom of religion has now been perverted into some kind of Muslim exception to mm. the Constitution that doesn't actually exist, and that freedom of religion has also been perverted into discriminating against other people that we disagree with because we don't like get down with that you know no, you're absolutely right Alyssa. and i just want to add to that because there was this very prominent tweet not only is islam different from you know judaism and um christianity but a lot of people were saying that if you think about it who practice it brown people so that was another issue and so yeah. why we have cast muslims as the new other do people forget that jesus was a brown person no he they, wasn't they jesus don't know was white. that he was white they with don't blonde know hair he was a brown eyes person and a if beard. jesus was born in the place where he i don't want to get into a whole theological conversation right now but if jesus was born <laughs> in the place where they say he was born at bethlehem or jerusalem or somewhere in the middle eastern region somewhere um in the time that he was born then he was a brown-skinned jew from the middle east and so I think people should really take a step back and think about that, especially white people, white Christians should think about that before they start preaching on their anti-brown religion thing that they have going on. But notwithstanding, I think Selena brings up some great points about the rise of Islamophobia, and I think that's a great portion where I want to talk about Trump. And I talked about it at length during our last show, um, which is, you know, I think actually Hillary Clinton said it last night during the debate, like the best the, per, the, the, the best recruiter for ISIS right now is Donald mm. Trump, right? Because ISIS is taking what he's saying and going, look, look, the West is having a culture war. They hate Muslims. They hate Muslims. Join ISIS, right? And so I think that's a really salient point that this is somebody who's literally leading in the polls to potentially be our next president. And he is flaming, fanning the flames of propaganda and essentially in some ways helping ISIS to recruit. That is not helping us solve the ISIS problem. Uh, I know during the debate they talked a lot about coalitions last night and, you know, definitely there needs some co to be some coalition building. But at the same time, we need to not fan the flames of extremism through people like Donald Trump. Exactly right, Alyssa. And on that note, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we'll continue this discussion about what happened in 2015. Since you left the city, you... Oh, boy. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley. Cat, zaddy, good hair, pretty eyes, Fritz. Sometimes I slide into my girl's DMs, let her know I still love her. Aww. And I am here with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and there was a dark skinned brother with the green V neck. I think he's a dreamer, <laughs> but he might be doing. <laughs> And if you were just tuning in, we were talking about the biggest stories from 2015, and we talked about Blue Ivy Carter. Woo! Just kidding. So, Alyssa, what did we really talk about? I was trying, yeah, that's so 2014. That was so 2014. Saint but wait, I just want to remind you, if you want to give us some hotline bling, you can call us at 212-650-6903. Yes, we would definitely appreciate some of your hotline bling. Thank you for that, Alyssa. Call us on that cell phone. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, guys. So where we left off, we were talking about the rise of ISIS and Islamophobia uh, before we took um, took that break. And I know Stanley wanted to chime in with a closing comment or um, remark about that before yeah. we segue into foreign policy. Yes, because I don't want to give like a, a closing speech or anything, but we just have to remember we have been this place before. Remember back in World War Two when we were like, hey, can we trust the Japanese I'm not sure. Let's put them all in these special camps where they'll be treated equally, but they'll be separated from everyone else, not have food, not have resources, and be treated like crap. And then, once the war's over and we realize what we did wrong, we'll have to give them reparations because we know we screwed up. We've made this mistake before. Why make it again? Why are you treating people differently because of their religion? Why are people who claim to be Christian saying that people are at war against them? Meanwhile, you want to give tests to Muslim people. No, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And there was another disturbing story that um, didn't didn't sit too well with me. There was this big outrage. I forget the, the, the local, I forget the um, state it was in, but somewhere in the Midwest. And this teacher actually assigned her students to write the Muslim um, statement of faith in Arabic because she was teach, teaching them how to use calligraphy and they, they actually there was so much outrage they shut the school down no no the district they shut the whole district down in Virginia and I'm like are we really that afraid white of, people are of, <laughs> Islam, of, 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 of Muslim of well, Muslim but actually what you mentioned about the Christians is something that I really wanted to address with res- with respect to the refugee crisis because yes um, a good handful of the refugees that are trying to immigrate here to the U.S. are of Muslim faith, but a large portion of the refugees are actually Christians, uh, Christian Syrians. And when I was just listening or watching a special on this last night, actually, uh, when ISIS comes to some of these Christian neighborhoods in Syria, they mark these houses with a cross, just like uh, Jewish homes were marked with a um, star the of David. Uh, yeah, but they mark them with a cross, and when they're marked with a cross, they're marked for destruction. And so these are some of the people, they're not just, I mean, and we should want immigrants to come here, refugees to come here and want to take in refugees because that's the right thing to do as human beings, whether they're Christian or whether they're Muslim. But it's so like crazy to me how you have like white Christians here in the U.S. saying like we can't take in any refugees. Meanwhile, a good portion of some of the people that are being killed or persecuted in Syria by ISIS Mm -hmm. are Christians. Um, So, you know, this whole thing is just so perplexing to me. Uh, I mean, the the um, the Statue of Liberty uh, does not say uh, that our borders are shut to people. From the last I checked, it says, give me your tired, your poor, um, and ends in White. you know, you yearning to be free. Uh, with no, like I said, there's no Muslim exception to the Constitution, yeah. and, uh, you know, there's no brown people exception to, uh, you know, our policies of uh, being the kind of country that reaches out and opens up our doors to those people who need to, you know, come here. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't screen and, and have make sure that the people who are coming here do meet a strict security check background um, so that we are all safe. But it doesn't mean that we are going to close down our borders either. That's just perplexing and absurd. No, it absolutely is. And it's very discouraging, I think, in 2015, how we've been treating um, people of, of Islamic faith and um, brown people. But I mean, again, it's America, right? Yep. Uh, moving right along, there was something very positive that happened. President Obama signed an historic deal, the U.S.-Iran deal, which again uh, was announced back in July. 
And then it finally went into effect. And what it does is, um, so the U.S. and I think about four to five other world powers have agreed to lift Iran's economic sanctions. In turn, the Islamic Republic, they vowed to limit its nuclear program for the next decade. So Iran, instead of continuing to make nuclear weapons and bombs, they said, you know, we'll take, we'll agree diplomatically. Will stop as long as you lift these sanctions and allow us to export and import, uh, allow our country to continue to self-sustain, basically. And it was a very diplomatic approach to solving the Iran um, nuclear program that that was going on. But we had so much backlash from the from Republicans in Congress. You would think that Obama planted a nuclear bomb himself. Well, you're. The Republicans are cr- well, yeah, they're crazy. One, but no, this is a really huge deal, Celine. You, you, you don't like you. You're not over exaggerating at what not one bit. This is over 30 years of standstill and sanctions we've had with Iran, and all of a sudden the black guy comes in and says, "Hey, maybe we could talk something out." Right, and they set a deal. And it's to the point that if Iran wanted to build a nuclear weapon, it would take them 50 years just to get back to where they were before this deal was signed. This is a huge deal, and it makes the middle. East a little bit safer, not really because we all know that that place is a cluster. Shuck. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. It's definitely a historic deal. And, um, you know, it actually reminds me of, in some weird way, reminds me of my favorite moment of 2015. And if you want to tell me what your favorite moment of 2015 was in politics or elsewhere, you know, you should give us a call um, or you should chime in. But my favorite moment of 2015 is the State of the Union, right? And it's when Obama's like off the cuff. He's like, yeah. I don't have to run again because I won them both, right? But, <laughs> oh. you know, I was like, oh, but you know what? Like that, the reason why I bring that up with mention to the Iran deal because is that he had the political capital in there to do the Iran deal because of the fact that he won both elections, yeah. right? So if he did not, obviously, if he didn't win the second election, then we're having a totally different conversation yeah. right now. But at that point, he didn't have another election to run. And yeah. so he could expend some of the political capital that he had gained after getting reelected in order to say, you know what, let's do this Iran deal. Let's do this diplomatic thing. Yeah. Um, and and obviously, you know, let like let's not forget how we got into this situation with Iran to begin with. Uh, I know I mentioned that when we talked about the Iran deal. Go back and listen to that show. I know I'm directing a lot of people back to previous shows, um, but there's definitely some good stuff there from earlier in the year. Um, Like, we toppled a government in Iran, which led to a hostage crisis, which mm-hmm. led to us not talking to Iran for a long, long time, yep. which led to Iran potentially enriching uranium in order to build a nuclear bomb um, and us then implementing sanctions in order to try and prevent that by crippling their economy. But that wasn't working because it wasn't preventing the centrifuges from spinning. And it was really harming the civilians that which were trying to us. eat and making them hate us. So, I mean, on all levels both on a diplomatic level, but just on a human level, um, this deal made a lot of sense. Now, there's still pushback to this day, and there's still, and oh, we're yeah. going to talk about this more in the second segment, Republican candidates that are pledging to undo this deal. Um, but in terms of historic deals, this isn't the only historic deal we saw the president make between the this and the climate deal that we talked about last week. I mean, the president's really just pushing on <laughs> forward uh, because, like I said, he doesn't have another election to win. No, he's absolutely right. Let me just throw the phone number out there if you have a question 
question or a comment, the number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Stanley is our in-house climate expert, works at Environment, we act, Environmental Justice. For environmental and Justice. Yes, I'm sorry so about that. So pretty much here's how to deal when it's between 196 other countries and the deal agrees that the world's powers will make sure. Can you pick up some? Yeah, sure, no problem. So basically what the deal does, um, so uh, f- earlier this month, uh, 196 countries were in Paris coming together to make to put this deal together. Yeah, so what they agreed to do is to make sure that carbon emissions don't go any further than um, 2, I think, point. 2.5 it's like 1.5 percent but no, the aim is two percent yeah they celsius. want to keep it at two percent celsius which is still a bad thing because in order to avoid the natural disasters and all the problems we expect to happen with climate change you have to keep it at 1.5 but we won't talk about that for now because you know that's just no not helping because anybody. The, what we but then said, just oh, go on. so also what it's going to do for the country is the countries are going to be required to report on ways that they're trying to reduce climate emissions which is really good because even though it's there's no mandate on there technically it like it gives it's it creates a sort of like a sort of level of um, accountability for different countries, and this is great for America because since it's not mandatory, the president does not have to get it ratified by Congress, which means it happens. Right, Woo. and you know what? That's, it just speaks to you know what I'll say is the theme of this year sort of is like the president got things done. Yes, yes. you know, yes, and, he and he got things done in the face of a huge amount of opposition from Congress that refused to work with him, uh, from people in his own party that didn't necessarily agree with the way he was. Proceeding, uh, especially with respect to sometimes with the Iran Trans- deal, Trans-Pacific Partnership, or the TPP, Trans- you know, and for like I said, you know, you may disagree with the TPP. That's another one of those trade agreements that I don't particularly like. But the fact is, like he got it, like literally almost everything, with the exception of guns, almost everything that the right. president said he was going to get done, like in his agenda, when you know he's moving towards getting done. Even with or without Congress, he is not waiting around for this body that, you know, and you could say that you disagree with that strategy. But for what it's worth, like the man is getting stuff done. Um, And I think that, you know, like he's definitely there's going to be a lot more stuff like he is not done. There's going to be a lot more things that we see coming up in 2016 that he's going to get done in his last year in office, because at that point, he really has nothing to lose. No, no, definitely. I did want to say kudos to President Obama. I mentioned at the, the very beginning of the show that he's. Um, more people are insured under his signature health care law, and he has a number of achievements that we just listed. He just commuted the sentences of 95 right. people and granted them clemency, including a woman who apparently was locked up for life for her first time drug offense. Wow. Because I, I believe that, you she's know, a mule. yeah, she was like a drug mule, and because of the sentencing guidelines and the amount of drugs that she was carrying, uh, she was sentenced to life in prison, even though she had never been arrested before. Yep. She was one of the people whose sentences were commuted. Um, so, you know, it's been a, a remarkable year in achievements for President Obama. Uh, and on that note, I'm going right. to throw it back to Selena. Yeah. No. So so again, guys, we had a great year ahead. And guess what? We're going to talk about what we expect in 2016, the year ahead. We had a great year behind us. And now forward, we're going to push forward um, in the next half of the show. We'll talk about that. And again, later on in the show, we have a special dreamer and doer, Roy Paul, in the business, in the building with us. And we'll talk to him about everything that he has going on. So stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Folks want to pop off, pop off, pop off, pop Folks want to pop off, pop off, pop off, pop off. Folks want to pop off, pop off. Real talk, hard body. 
Work lyrics, floatus, potus, snell, SNL, rap lyrics, bars. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard right here so on WHCR 98.3 FM. Also known as Battle of the Punches, Michelle Barack O'Drama out <laughs> wait, here wait, rapping about college. We need the gunshots to go No, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, no, no more bomb dropping. My favorite moment from 2015 was when Miss Deborah called in a talk and I put on <laughs> And he dropped a bomb on her. I dropped the flex, <laughs> flex bomb. Is that your favorite moment of 2015? Yes. Well, she was like, she said, what's, I got a problem with the bush. What's your favorite Barack Obama moment? My favorite Barack Obama moment, it had to be the pop off. So um, for those of you who don't know, the president was, um, I think he was in um, Paris, actually. And they were asking him some questions about how he was dealing with Syria. And he said, if folks want to pop off about things they don't know <laughs> nothing about, oh, they can yes. come see me in the streets. And then Chief Keith's Love Sosa came on. Love Sosa. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's the only thing. Come on. But I guys, can't. we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 98.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And I am not here to talk about the past. 2015 is all in the past. And if you were in the past with us, you heard Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and myself, Stanley Fritz, talking about the best moments. But what I want to talk about right now is 2016. Let me tell you what's going to be a thing in 2016. Me, not on painkillers, because hopefully my hip will be okay. You you know what else will be a thing in 2016? Flying cars. Just kidding. There'll be no flying cars. But you know what will be a thing? Hoverboards. Hoverboards. Just kidding. Those are illegal now. You can get beat up and or shot by the police for using them. Just kidding. Only the cops, if you're black, though. The, co- the cops will not shoot you, hopefully. They will probably just give you a ticket if they even care as much. Because but, on the Upper East Side, people are using them all over. And oh, I yeah, haven't seen a police that, arrest anybody. Wow. That's how you roll. But listen, guys. 2016 will be a big year because it is the last year that America has a black guy in the White House, oh. and he's not just serving the food. He is the president. <laughs> That's good. That was Barack good. Obama that was good will be in his final year as president, and I, for one, cannot mother love and wait to the State of the Union. We will also be crowning a new president of the United States of America from the Democratic Party <laughs> or the Republican Party. <laughs> Or, I don't know, somewhere else. We, what else can we expect from 2016? Well, Selena will finally tell me that I'm the best engineer on a radio show, and I will say yes. And then hopefully, and you guys will be there for this, we will celebrate WHCR's 30th birthday. But for this segment right here and for this conversation, we are talking about what to expect in 2016. Current POTUS, future POTUS. Do you want to just like see the president get up there during the State of the Union and just give like like basically do the whole thing in rap lyrics? Or the Dougie? I just want him to hit the dab on the Yeah, he could just hit the dab real quick. uh, Get him, president. Should he wear like baggy jeans and a t-shirt? Yes. He should wear skinny jeans, no shirt, or just a wife beater. And he should come up there with like Kanye and Lil Wayne, right? Yes, he should come there with a flat top with the the half moon part. (laughs) With an earring in one. He's like, yeah, nah, me me and Michelle don't talk no more. pop off. So, guys, this is President Obama's last year in office. And like Alyssa was mentioning earlier, we expect for him to do a lot of things. This is, as we know, was technically the second African-American president, but the first one in um, United States history, because I'm talking about the one I was president in the Articles of Confederation. Anyways, but Barack Obama was the first one. And in these seven and a half to eight years, we have seen a lot. We've seen extreme racism. We've seen even more extreme racism. We've seen the rise of the Tea Party. We've seen the Affordable Care Act. We have seen rhetoric like rhetoric go to levels we never thought it could reach and the now, rise of the kkk the, well, that, that didn't that's rise. what I you was meant by there. that 
<laughs> they have, well, yes and no, but we've seen a lot. And now in this last year, I really want to find out from you guys, what do you expect to happen? What do you hope? So let's start with the expect expectations first. Selena, you look excited. Yeah, sure. So from President Obama, I expect him to definitely pop off. We got your back, Obama. So say what you want at the podium. We're all there. Um, I expect him to, and he kind of alluded to it during his end of the year conference a few days ago, but close Guantanamo Bay. That is a big thing that President Obama has campaigned on ever since his 2008 campaign, and he has made a lot of progress. I think we've cut the number of prisoners there from like 150 to half. There's about 70 here, and he made a really good point. We're spending billions of dollars to encapture 70 people on this island and it's not American pro- they did not go through due process this is not justice this is not democracy so I think that um, when it comes to Guantanamo Bay, something big that I definitely expect from President Obama. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a prediction for next year. We're going to be really optimistic that the right. president's going to get a lot done. And then Congress is going to block like half this things oh from God. getting done. That well, I mean, right. I mean, it's Congress. They're uh, obstructionists. That's what they do. Because Congress. Because Congress. Um, no, I mean, I'd like to see him close Guantanamo. I'd like to see him commute more sentences. Um, I'd like to see um, some kind of like budget deal get, you know, further budget deal get done. And, you know, some more of these issues being worked out. I'd like to see us get immigration reform done this year. And I'd like to see us uh, accept more refugees that are coming from the Middle East. Do I think any of those things are going to happen? Probably not. Well, we'll see. I mean, Congress gave me a little hope. I'm not going to lie. By oh. passing the spending bill and, and Paul Ryan, first of all, for Republicans to respect Paul Ryan so much, they didn't even give him that much of a hard time when it came to the spending bill. Not like John Boehner. I mean, when it came to John Boehner, they <laughs> when it came to John Boehner, I mean, they just... They were like obstructionists in their own party. But I think that now we see Paul Ryan. He has taken the speakership. President Obama has given him kudos. And he has said that they have a great working relationship. So now that we have Paul Ryan in the head of the uh, House Republicans and we have President Obama, I do expect and hope and pray that more things can get passed. You are way too optimistic. Paul Am Ryan I? is worse than John Boehner. Well, Paul Ryan yet. is like openly evil. Yeah, but I mean, even... I think that's so far, so good, Stanley. He has a new position, maybe a new outlook. We don't know. We'll Pro- see. Probably not. So we talked about the things we expect from the president. What do we hope? I hope that he curses someone out. Oh, yes. Like a reporter. Do it. He's Don't about to curse Donald Trump out. <laughs> yes. Have you, like, have you ever like watched some of these press conferences? The, like A reporter will be like, Mr. President, everything you've done has shown that you're a sucker and you can't take care of your family. How do you respond to that? And he'll just like take a deep breath and just answer it respectfully. And it's like, he just came for your soul. How do you just live through that life and not, like, come on, no. I hope that he really tells somebody about themselves this year. I'm I'm really interested to see. I'm really interested to see what he does. Like, what he does now, like, that he's going to be leaving the White House. Where is he going to go? Because I heard he's going to be doing My Brother's Keeper. But, like, what if he doesn't do that? I mean, well, I, I think the My Brother's Keeper was definitely one of the biggest initiatives that President Obama did, especially for black and brown boys here in our country. And that's definitely going to keep going. He has so many um, speakers and like people working locally to keep this program alive. And even when he's out of the White House, uh, Michelle Obama already said that they plan to continue to act on humanitarian rights and specifically put a lot of attention towards educating girls around the around the world. Yeah. So he's going to continue. 
continue to, to, to basically uphold that legacy. I think you're going to see, you know, because Obama's fairly young as far as presidents go, and he'll be fairly young by the time he gets out of office still. So I think that we there's still, even when he's no longer president, I think there's still a lot that we're going to see from President Obama um, as a former president. I don't, you know, like... Jimmy Carter, right, has yeah. uh, done a lot of things after his presidency. He's been extremely influential, influential in um, a lot of things in Africa, and uh, especially with respect right. to certain diseases that he's been trying to help eradicate. And I definitely think that the president's going to have a strong post-presidency agenda, um, and it definitely will be interesting to see what him and Michelle uh, do after he's president. Um, and especially, you know, I think that there's a lot we're going to see from him. Um, but just sort of switching gears. Uh, you know, and moving into sort of what happens next. Obviously, what happens next is we get a new president. And um, that means we're going to have an election in November of 2016. We're already like right smack dab in the middle of the election cycle already. And we've seen a lot of crazy so far. And we've seen a lot of not so crazy. Um, And we kind of don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, we know one thing for sure. We're going to elect a new president in November. And that person's going to get sworn in in January of uh, 2017. It's definitely going to be really interesting um, election cycle this year. I want to jump in because, like, I'm glad you mentioned that, Lisa. So I wanted us to talk about who we think would win, like, the primaries for each party. So I want to start off with the Hillary-Bernie because I feel like there's a lot more heat around that because it's just interesting to watch the Republican Party, but there's actually heat around Hillary-Bernie. So we'll start with Selena because she jumped up for joy. Who do you think is winning the primary? Who is winning the, the, um, the primary and why? Um, Hillary Clinton, she is definitely winning the primary. If we look at um, polls in New Hampshire and Iowa, national polls, she has a strong lead and she has maintained that strong lead since the beginning of the election cycle started. Look, I've been feeling the burn since before he announced he was even going to run for uh, the White House. But I think that um, I I don't think that he has a chance. And the thing is, Hillary, she's been. She's been campaigning really hard. She's been really good at these debates. She hasn't had one flawed moment. The only thing, the biggest thing that her opponents have on her are the emails, which Bernie himself said don't make any damn sense, so just forget about the damn emails, and I quote. And I, and I think that even he, she even has the DNC on her side. If you look at what just happened with how they shut, they suspended Bernie Sanders' campaign because a few of his staffers were like happened to, to it was like a little voter breach, right? And then, and then, Bernie Sanders had to basically file a lawsuit against the DNC to say, like, you know, we need access to this crucial voter data. You can't take this away from me. So, I mean, it's it's Hillary all the way. I, I actually I agree. I mean, listen, I like Bernie. Don't get me wrong. Um, You know, but I think you're right. I think it's going to be Hillary for sure. Um, You know, unless with one big exception. Right. In 2007, when. Obama was facing off against Hillary. Um, Everybody was like, it's going to be Hillary. It's going to be a coronation. It's going to be Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. And what ended up happening was Obama won in one of the early states and his win in the early states ended up snowballing him into winning a lot of other states that originally they didn't predict that he was going to win. So I do think it's going to be Hillary. However, I think that if Bernie does win in, you know, in either New Hampshire or Iowa, then that may lead. And and he is leading in the polls for what it's worth in New Hampshire within the margin of error, but still leading. So I think if if Bernie pulls Obama, he could pull it out. But at the end of the day, I do think he's going to be. It's, I do think said. it's going to be. He, he could pull it out. He always could. So, guys, forgive me. We're going to backtrack just a little bit, but I want to give our caller a time to speak. He's one of my favorites, Brother Omar. And favorite so, of 2015, too. That's right. So, Brother Omar, let your voice be heard. 
Okay, thank you so much, and to your panel. This is this is one of the fastest moving uh, programs on the radio. It's hard for me even to keep up with you guys, but it's so beautiful. Well, actually, well, I wanted to backtrack and talk about what the President Obama, who was the first sitting president, as I know, to ever visit uh, uh, people in the penitentiary, and how he's trying to pass these laws for prison reform. I just heard on social media that he released. Uh, over a hundred low-level uh, criminals, so they could be home with their families for the holiday. And uh, usually, a president uh, doesn't do that until his last years in office, from what I understand. And what I want to know is, even with the solitary confinement, how when we lost one of these young brothers, I believe it was this year when he committed suicide coming out of Rikers Island because of his treatment there, and how that's affecting us, and especially in the so-called minority communities. And uh, I say kudos to President Obama. And then when you ask what should he do when he leaves office, I think he and his wife should write a book on family. Because it's amazing how they have stuck together, scandal-free. You don't hear no type of Clinton scandals or Bush scandals about them. So they should just sit down and write a book on family. No, that's actually, that's a great comment. And you're right, there's been no little blue dresses coming up with any interns uh, like there was during some of the former presidents. Um, but, you know, with respect to the issue of prison reform, I, I think that's a great point. Um, it, you know, I mentioned the commutations, and you're absolutely correct. That is something that usually presidents wait to the last year, which is a great point to be made that he did 95 of them this year, which means we have a lot to look forward to next year. Um, but with the respect to prison reform in general, um, I think you're right. It has brought in the commutations and the president really being involved in this issue has brought it to the forefront. At the same time, um, there's only so much the president can do. So with respect to the issue of Mr. Broder, that is a very local issue that's here in New York City that happened at Rikers Island. And while the president's position helps to put pressure on state and local governments to make reforms, um, you know, only the mayor and city council can reform the situation at Rikers. Only the governor and the state legislature can reform the situation at prisons like Clinton Correctional, where there's been numerous abuses that has now come out. Uh, so it is good that the president is helping to bring these issues to light. At the same time, um, you know, the president can only do so much with respect to reform. And so we need also to have state and local governments pick up that mantle and run with it where the president leaves off because he can only go so far. Thanks again, Brother Omar, for letting your voice be heard. And if you're listening, you have a comment or projection for 2016. The number is 212 650 Six nine zero three. All right. You missed that, Selena. It's back. So, um, we were just talking about what we who we expect to win the primary, the Democratic primary between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. I know both of you guys are saying that Hillary Clinton was going to beat Bernie Sanders pretty easily. And Alyssa was mentioning that Bernie Sanders, um, you know, he has a he he's he's pretty close to New Hampshire, at least enough for the margin of error. And what I was thinking about when you said that, Alyssa, was that Bernie Sanders is good, but he's no Obama. And what I mean by that is, like you mentioned, Alyssa, um, President Obama won Iowa, but they knew. They knew they had to win Iowa. They put all their bets on Iowa. And once they won Iowa, they knew that things were kind of like cascade in their favor. So that's the energy that they put towards there. Bernie Sanders doesn't have like a target state because everyone knew everyone was going out, like the Obama campaign was going out to Iowa. That's where the president lives. That's where he's putting his energy in. Bernie Sanders doesn't seem to have that. He also doesn't seem to have like that tightened messaging that the president has either. Why do you think that's happening? Well, because the president was a great communicator, whereas like Bernie Sanders is sort of like your old Jewish grandpa who's yelling and screaming and 
for gets you know, grumpy a lot kvetching about things which is the <laughs> yiddish term for it which is essentially to mean to complain and you know uh, like i said i like bernie and i like the the spirited you know you know one of my other favorite moments from this year was nobody cares about your damn emails you know like i, I love the spirit that he brings to it but he's you're i think you're make a great point he's not barack obama right. barack obama was you know, for lack of a better term, the great communicator, which is a term that's been ascribed to other presidents. I'm actually stealing that from somewhere. Um, he well, reached Reagan. people. He really made, made people feel that hope and that change and yep. wanting to get behind that campaign and in a way that I don't necessarily think Bernie does. I know Selena has a comment, but I also want us to talk about what we think is going to happen in a Republican primary. We're going to get there. Don't worry. No, I just wanted to add on something that you said. I think it was you, Stanley. You said earlier this year that, okay, not only was uh, Barack Obama a great communicator, but his communication team now works for Hillary Clinton, yeah. and they're doing a great job. I mean, hashtag I'm with her. Yeah. So I just wanted to point yeah, that's that out. Actually, that's actually very, very true. Like a, a good amount of like the, the really like the brain trust of the Obama campaign is with Team Hillary. I'm not talking about um, David Polo for David, um, um, Polo for Axelrod. They're like doing their own things. But you're talking about those data people, those messaging people, those speech writers. They're all with Hillary. And that was one of the things Hillary made sure she did when she became Secretary of State. She recruited and, and engaged all of those people because she wanted to make sure that she was not going to lose. Right. Strategic. She knew she had her eyes on the White House for I think a decade now. Well, and she this knows is how to like get there. going back, back. It, this isn't this year, but I mean, it, it, it plays into this idea about how. Uh, Barack Obama has been effective in this year is that like Barack Obama was the first president to build a ground game that was based on social media and based on the old school what we think of canvassing door to door and really mm -hmm. utilize um, the social media aspect of it whether it was through you know organizing for action or through their web platform and utilizing Twitter and Facebook like it was the first social media campaign um, so this year we're sort of seeing and th that was the first time it had ever happened mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why it's so interesting about going into 2016, because this is going to be the first election where everybody, every candidate is going to be utilizing social media. It's not just going to be like um, Obama was utilizing social media and then Romney had to play catch up or John McCain had to play catch up to what they were doing. I mean, uh, even in 2012, Romney took a long time to sort of get his social media ground game. So right. it's going to be interesting going into 2016 to seeing that now that everybody's using social media, the role that it plays uh, in the election cycle. Just one more thing, then we got to switch to the Republican Party. But it wasn't just necessarily the social media. It's how they use the social media to control their message and what they were talking about and how they branded a candidate. So one of the things that David Axelrod did for the Obama campaign when they were running for president is every night he'd give like a briefing on how they did, what the goals are, what the setbacks were, and what they were going to do to be different. And he would send that to their list. So everyone who wanted to be part of the campaign felt like they were part of the campaign on every level. And then when you were doing that, and you're, when you could watch a speech from President Obama on the Obama um, for America website, or you could watch a concert on the Obama for America website by signing up and giving information where you could donate and like get tracked exactly where donations were going through that website, all of a sudden you become less reliant on the media, which is going to pitch whatever is the top story of the day and whichever angle helps them the most. Mm, right. it's, it's that mastery of messaging. And unless it's 100% right, though, a lot of these other candidates are doing that now, which is why so many Republicans can live in the vacuum because they have Fox News and then they have their candidates' website.
Right. right. Well, so, it's also uh, why like Trump has been able to be so successful right. without being backed by any super PAC. And yep. side, you know, we a lot of we like to talk about money and politics a lot, and how money influences politics, and that's definitely true. But Trump's also taking that to sort of a new level in that he's not, you know, he's using all of his own money. Um, so it's interesting that you know you look at a guy like Jeb Bush that's being backed by like three super PACs that have spent like millions and millions and millions of dollars, and he's still trailing Donald Trump in the polls uh, despite all the money that. Being spending is kind of like upending the conventional wisdom about how money influences politics. Yes, that's right. True. Listen, thank you so much for that. So, guys, we do have to go on a break. When we come back, it's all about the Republicans who we're going to pick as our primary winner and why. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. WHCR 90.3 FM New York Hi, this is Sister Virginia Cotton, and I'll take you to that place every Tuesday morning from 6 to 10 in the a.m. on the Gospel Legends program. We'll lift the Savior and take a trip down memory lane. How far back will I go? Tune in on Tuesday morning, WHCR 90.3 FM from 6 to 10 in the a.m. And don't forget the website. That's the three W's dot WHCR dot O-R-G. I'm so excited. And we, we are, are back. Don't panic. Pop off. Don't panic. Yeah, don't panic. We we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the mother-loving voice of Harlem. And if you are just tuning in, we are talking about 2016, what to expect. We talked about Barack J. Kwan, Hussein, old drama. We talked about Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and who we think will win the primary. And now we're talking about the Republican Party and who will come out of that mudslide called oh, the, the Republican primary. I Alyssa, have a, I have a prediction. I have a prediction. It's that Donald Trump is going to offend somebody <laughs> right you know can you see into the future are you a psychic Alyssa? i see into the because future i look I into the ball think that's gonna happen and i think that i mean donald trump is gonna offend another group 
despite the groups that he he's already offended, he's going to find a way to offend more of America, and people are still going to vote for him. That is what I was going to say. Like, as offensive as Donald Trump is, this is a reflection of America, right? He is the forefront. He's the, the worst he's part of America. The worst part of America. But still, if you look at, he's been doing great. I think he has like a 20-point lead almost on any other candidate. I mean, Ted Cruz is slowly um, crawling along, but Ted Cruz isn't, you know, he's pretty far-fetched himself as well. Donald Trump was endorsed by Vladimir Putin. It's over. And he was endorsed by that crazy Harlem pastor who puts on his door <laughs> like like the all the um all the homo he says Bishop like Manning? right like all of the gay people are going to go to hell and should burn in fire with um syphilis that's the type of endorsement See, that's that, oh, back, that Donald Trump that's is getting bringing it back to like my favorite video of 2014 which was the woman who went there and asked if it was her time to get stoned right no she no. was like are you gonna stone me but that was 2014 that's like a throwback no no you're absolutely right I, I think that what we've been seeing with Donald Trump is almost unprecedented at least in my lifetime yeah. the more offensive the more insulting he is to whole demographics and groups of people mm-hmm. whether they're disabled whether they're Muslim whether they're immigrants whether they're black or brown the more support he gets and uh, the thing is I've been hearing interviews with a lot of the people who support Trump and they'll they say it they're like look Trump's been saying the stuff that I've been thinking for the last 40 years Daily Show. okay like no no like no, NPR I was actually listening to these real like they're because Trump is not afraid and is so bold when it comes to being crude um, they're basically coming out of the woodworks too and it's like I, I saw this tweet someone said we made a lot of progress when it came to racism now it's out of the shadows it's blatant it's it's right there. It's in your face. And its name is Donald Trump. There was a guy on The Daily Show who said, Donald Trump, he's the kind of president I feel like I, I can be safe walking down the streets again as a white man. Whoa. And, and he was being serious. Yes. And it was the most amazing thing I've heard all my life. A white man is afraid to walk the streets. Well, honestly, <laughs> I'm gonna, I honestly think that Donald Trump's not going to win the um, nomination. So that's like my prediction, which is... Who do you think is going to win? Um, I, I, I don't know who's going to... I think it's probably going to be between Rubio, Cruz, and Bush, to be honest, at the end of the day. I yeah. think Carson's... Because here's the thing, right? When certain people start dropping out of their race, their supporters are going to have to pick another candidate to get behind. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe all of Carson and Carly Fiorina's supporters get behind Trump and he wins the nomination, in which case my prediction is that Hillary Clinton is the next president of the United States because I don't think that Trump can beat her, to be honest. At the end of the day, I don't think he's going to end up winning the election. In fact, I think a vote for Trump is actually a vote for Hillary. So if you like Trump, go out and vote for him because thank you. Um, But yeah, I don't think at the end, I think when all is said and done, when we get through the debates, I think that it's, you know, when we get through all the debates and people start voting, I think that he's not going to win. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. I want Ben Carson to win because he is so ridiculously stupid. Now I know that you don't have to know anything to be a a neurosurgeon. I'm so mad that he tarnished his own legacy. This man, (laughs) like he, I mean, he started off in the the depths of poverty in Detroit, I believe it was. He must have drank that toxic water. And and then for him to, you know, just rise the ranks as this internationally known medical uh, surgeon, and now he's like just ruining everything. Because he's an idiot. So guys, we do have a caller on the line, a good friend of mine calling into the show i do not know or she's actually a morning person so i knew she was up um cody ann let your voice be heard hi guys hey i'm listening to the show hi selena hi everyone and you guys are talking about donald trump and how he's relevant right now um i it's so weird to say that it's kind of refreshing to see people at least be honest because we're living in like political correct 
dystopia, like where Caitlyn Jenner is being overly praised and everyone's trying to be so PC. He's like the dramatic opposite of the politically correct spectrum. Hopefully we can find a medium, but let's see. Cody Ann, thank you so much for your comment. Again, if you want to let your voice be heard, the number is 212-650-6903. I wanted to say something about that because I think that when it comes to constituents and it comes to the American people, we're tired of about three things. We're tired of war. Um, we're tired of politics as usual. And we're seeing that a, people, a lot of people are tired of PC politics. And I think that because... Donald Trump just says it as it as as it is, so so to speak. A lot of people view him as honest, and they say that you know what he says what he means, and he means what he says. And we've seen so many elected officials, time and time again, make these campaign promises and just fold. They don't push, they don't fight, or they don't really but uphold he's everything the same that they thing. campaign. Yeah. He's pr- he's promising all these things that he'll never be able to accomplish. Like death penalty like, for cop killers. Yeah, de- death penalty for cop killers. He has no control over Deport that. Deport eleven uh, million people. No control. I mean, he would might have. Some some control over that but not really i mean even uh, like banning a whole religious group would not happen because we have something called a constitution so <laughs> he's putting forth a lot of feel-good pieces of legislation that would never a- he, they would never actually be passed in reality he's just saying things that make his supporters want to back him but mm-hmm. in reality he'd never be able to actually make those things happen but that wasn't even the comment i was going to make what I, the comment i was going to make is a lot of people are saying this you know it's refreshing to have a politician who just says what he feels and whatever but like but is it right? Because sort of the thing about politicians is that we've always thought like they may be thinking these things, but they don't say them because they exercise a certain level of professionalism. And that's why they are running for office, because people mm, who just spout these things, as Jeb Bush said, you know, Donald Trump is a chaos candidate and he'll be a chaos president. You know, like to a certain extent, we want to vote for people or in the past, we've wanted to vote for people who were not necessarily so politically correct that we're more professional that we're more willing to be more professional about the way they said things and put things so the question is like is this what we really want i mean he's not presidential like you said he's not presidential but again a lot of people especially in the republican party want something fresh and new but that's not gonna fly sorry i just want to cut in that's not gonna fly if he did get like not in the even in the general election in the rest of the world when you are now beginning to get elected president and now you have to go interact with chancellor merkel of germany or you know this prime minister from this place or this prime minister from britain and you're like yeah bro come at me bro like I'm just gonna talk to this bro like like Donald Trump is and you're so standoffish like the rest of the world leaders are gonna be like what like we're not gonna work with this person yeah. yeah, that's a great segue because Ms. Deborah is actually calling about Donald Trump not wanting to go overseas anymore Ms. Deborah, let your voice be heard hi you know I, what I found interesting was that he said that he would not be going to Israel until after he became president now that was after Harris was slaughtered, all the people were slaughtered. Now, he said that at one time, when he became president, he would bomb the bleep out of people, and he kept saying it. People kept laughing. I remember, because I was getting ready to go to work, and they kept playing it over and over on the radio. The same day, the next day, you get slaughtered. Now, my opinion is, you're not going over there right now, because you just said to get rid of all the Muslims from coming here in America. You don't want to go over there because you don't want a little taste of what they have to give to you. And as a as an American citizen, you can't go to other countries like that. I mean, Bush Bush can't even leave the he can't even leave the country. No, These people can't. I was just seeing uh, in Dubai 
where they took his name off of the um, the golf courses. They yep. took his name off of stuff. You know, people just these people here in America. They think that I don't know what they think. I, I, I to me, I think that. Barack Obama being president was the best thing that could have ever happened because you see some of the, the real mental illness that is seeping out of people. Yeah, all the racists came out of yeah. the woodwork. Thank you so much for that, Ms. Deborah. Um, I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Is that people? What I I'm I'm a Bernie supporter, but like what confuses me is that people say they don't want to vote for Hillary because she's too calculated, and then which makes them not trust her. So because she thinks before she speaks or does things, you don't trust her. This is how like this is how disconnected Americans are to the voting process. Selena. Oh no! C- continue. No, I was just gonna say that that sounds a lot like how you are, Stanley. Very strategic mm. in your thinking. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, some people would disagree, but <laughs> well, I mean, well, so okay. you just you can't get elected president and run around insulting world leaders and other people that you have to deal with. Like politics doesn't work like that. Where it's like, well, how are you gonna deal with Assad? Oh, you know, me and Putin, we're just gonna talk. <laughs> we're just gonna sit down and talk. We're just gonna have face. a conversation. You know, <laughs> like I'm sorry. Like that's but, it's but, not just that it's not presidential. It does not work as a strategy for. Diplomacy in the real world. Guys, I'm sorry. We do have to wrap this up. I wanted you guys to just let the listeners know what you're looking forward to for 2016. Selena wants to punch me in the face, so I'm going to go with Alyssa first. Um, I, I'm most looking forward <laughs> to the general election debates. Uh, once the candidates are squared away for each side and we get to see the Republicans and Democrats go head to head and fist to fist and, you know, rumble in Vegas or wherever it's going to be, that's what I really look forward to. And of course, election night, because I love me a good election night, as long as we win of course that's right i'm greatly looking forward to our first female president we've had two historic landmark presidential campaigns in 2008 2012 this will make the third because hillary clinton will be the first female president and i can't wait to vote for her unless trump beats her i'm looking forward (laughs) to the president the first um the president's last state of the union that is my favorite things to look forward to that's going to be super awesome. And I know I'm probably going to have like a, a State of the Union watch party because it's his Ooh, last one. at your house? Yeah. Oh, you can't wait. call me like a half an hour after it starts. And yeah. You know how Stanley gets down. You know how he gets down. Yeah, I, I always lose you guys' invitations. So, um, no, we're gonna, that's what we're going to do at my house. Everyone's invited except for the people standing outside of the studio. Just no one's standing outside there, guys. <laughs> we'll be right Major back. Major look. When we come back, we'll be talking about our dreamer and doer and what he's dreaming to do things about. <laughs> this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice. Of Harlem and Adele. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. Are back. Kudos to our engineer playing the best songs from 2013. I literally played two songs from 2013. <laughs> Look, it was my and favorite. Selena Look, is coming through with they, the shade. They were my favorite songs from 2013. Okay, Beyonce <laughs> and a little KKK from Rihanna. It's all good. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it is time for our monthly Dreamer and Doer series. That is where we spotlight a inspirational millennial, depending on how you define millennial, actually, who is doing great things in their community and the world around them, giving back and dreaming to live to live 
a legacy of change. And I wanted to just introduce again to you guys Roy Paul. He is definitely known, well known here in Harlem and in Southeast Queens. We'll talk about why lately. I'm pretty sure this is not your first time at WATR. No, Aisha Seku. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So welcome back. Uh, Roy Paul is a political commentator. He's a speaker and he is the founder of the Southeast Queens for Community Action. Hey, Roy. Hi. Hey. Can I just say? Yes. Hi, Roy. I, I've been on a few radio shows, a few TV shows. I have two comments. One is this is such a really great radio show. The dynamics work really well. I don't know why you guys aren't on CNN or MSNBC. Give because they don't like us. They don't believe in our they people. That's <laughs> my boy. They don't believe in us. Right, we're waiting for you. You got all the connects. Word. Roy, I right. heard you're the man with the plan. Can you give me on BCAT? <laughs> can you make it happen the, right i think you can all go on whatever you guys want to do this, this is a really really great show it was great listening to it and i'm gonna have to put this on my listing for uh, sunday morning there thank you, you so much roy uh we definitely appreciate that he's been hanging out with us in studio for at least the last hour so he's gotten a lot today but let me give you a little more information about his background so he is um a highly sought-after commentator. Get he specializes in the areas of education, Get social and economic justice, Get and the advancement of African Americans in modern pop culture and politics. Easy. So that means if Stanley acts up, we could always have Roy. Listen, let me tell you something. I read four <laughs> books in seven years. I'm ready for him. <laughs> Whatever. Um, he also, that was not a high five. That really? was a in your face. I already took the high five, so it's too late. You can't take it back. Whatever. So Roy also made history when he became the youngest African-American to ever be elected to public office in New York State when he was just 19. Stanley beat that okay i'm almost 30 exactly and he served five years as a school board member uh in middleton new york so shout out to upstate new york again so roy has been doing phenomenal things and he's i mean when you look at your background you started off as a teenager in politics now you founded the southeast uh southeast queens for community action you've also been noted as the savior of southeast queens what what it was a newspaper article it was a cover it was a cover am i lying am i lying did you I, I got iPads? a lot of heck for that article. <laughs> I, I didn't write it. Uh, that was the headline. Yeah, right. I would have clowned you for that too, bro. <laughs> the savior. And hey, shout out to Southeast Queens. I'm in St. Albans, so, and that's but that's yo, but in the, the savior. <laughs> hey, they compared him to Jesus. Not everyone can get a Jesus comparison, okay? Maybe Jesus didn't get a Jesus comparison when he was yeah, alive. You're right about no, that. I did get an honorary doctor from a seminary school, but I'm still not the savior of anything. Okay, well, no, I, I, I did very humble. That. That was, it wasn't, uh, I didn't write it, but the, they were very nice to the local weekly paper. I can't remember the name of it. I no, that's terrible. They're about to make you the worst person in South <laughs> <Yeah, my laughs> now. The I can't remember the name. Yeah. Um, but uh, they did uh, they did an article about the organization and what I thought about what Southeast Queens needed in terms of change. And, and so that was what they – I woke up and people said, you're all over the paper. I said, really? And then I went to look at it and I was surprised. Oh, yeah. So before we get into that, I want to take a few steps back. I want to ask, how did you get your start in local politics and in activism? Uh, through a roundabout way. I, I do not come from a political family. Um, my parents, uh, they vote when I tell them to vote. I remind them when the elections are. Like my, uh, like my family. And, but I did grow up um, in, uh, in the Bronx. Uh, and I was on a street that just happened to have a lot of people who were involved with NAACP and everything else. Uh, but I had no experience with politics or with voting. I mean, the first time I voted, it was like for like a contestant on American Idol or something. Oh, wow. Political. Um, and so um, everyone was talking about uh, 
trying to get involved. And at that time, and probably still is, when people were upset with you back then, they didn't write letters, they didn't make phone calls, they showed up at your house, and they, they prevented you from getting into your car, and they told you what they thought in the street. Um, and so I grew up around a lot of that. Um, and then when I went up, moved up to Orange County, it was completely different. Um, I, the minorities were in the majority, but they didn't control anything. They weren't elected to anything. I was the only African-American or minority elected in the entire county. I mean, it was, it was almost desolate with, when it comes to minority representation. Um, and uh, I helped start an NAACP chapter up there. And that really is what fueled my, my engagement and involvement in politics. And I realized once I got elected how important it was for one person to make a difference. I was instrumental in having uh, African-American uh, literature course in, ingrained in the curriculum. Prior to that, there was none. Wow. Um, and so it was it was important for me to talk up about an affirmative action officer and the things that we need to increase diversity. And if I wasn't there, no one else would have brought it up. I, I like that. I like the fact that Roy just said, if it wasn't for me, no one else would have spoke out. And you know what? A lot of times we're always waiting for a savior. We're always waiting for the other person to do it, the other person to speak out. But you know what? That other person needs to be us. So I like that you just use that as an example. Um, They say all politics are local. Why do you think it's so important for young people, especially millennials, to be involved in local politics? You again, you yourself were on a school board. Why is that important? Yeah, I think people often forget that what happens locally affects your pocket and your pocketbooks the most. Um, I keep talking to even friends of mine who are on community boards. And a friend, a good friend of mine, Alan, who I think would be great for this show um, to be a guest, he is on Community Board 13 in Southeast Queens. And he talked about when he first got on the community board, and he's younger than I am, I think, uh, there was no social media presence. Uh, and so he got there and then they have a Facebook and they're doing Instagram and all these other wonderful things to connect with people. And young people have a perspective that they bring to the table. And it's not that the older generation is doing something wrong and they're not doing anything that they don't care. It's just that they're not connected in the same ways that younger people are. And we have a unique perspective that we bring. Uh, and I think it, al- it always helps to add as many different diverse perspectives as, as you can add to a conversation or to a situation. Uh, and so whether it's with social media or trying to do things differently. I think they all help. And when I was on the school board, um, we dealt with the local taxes. Um, You paid property tax and you paid school board taxes. And we had a huge say in the percentage that people paid in property taxes. Um, And sometimes they went up, sometimes they went down. But it was that local vote with nine board members that decided what the percentage was in terms of how much people would pay in the property taxes. People do not understand the significance behind these local seats. And especially you being at that time a younger black male and how instrumental your voice was and who you are representing. I mean, you know, kudos again to you, Roy, because, again, a lot of people just, they always think bigger picture. A lot of people who even aspire to get into politics, they're like, well, you know, I want to run for mayor or or, or senator. I want to be a senator or president. You know, people don't understand that. It's it's the people that sit on the school board. It's the people that go to the the, 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 um, the community meetings and meet with um, different local chapters and meet with their local pre- or precinct. Those are the people that make instrumental changes in the community. So, so, again, I'm so glad that you um, you put so much emphasis on that. Um, I want you to now tell us more about your organization, Southeast Queens for a mu- Community Action. You're the founder. How did this come about? What does it do? Talk to us. Yeah, that, that came about because uh, in going to a lot of different meetings in Southeast Queens, we realized that a lot of people had issues, and they didn't know where to go to get them solved. And I, I kept going to one meeting after another, and people kept saying, well, you know, I have the street sign on my street that needs to be made or done or taken down or something. And, and another person would say, well, I have this and I have that. And everyone kept going to meeting after meeting and talking about the same problems. No one ever got anything done. 
Uh, and they didn't realize the resources that were in their communities to do whatever it was that they needed to get done. Uh, you know, basic things like not knowing what's a city issue and a state issue. We keep, you know, they keep yelling about state senator so-and-so for not doing this, Y, and Z, but state senators don't deal with potholes. The city council member does, and they didn't know that. Um, and so I put together stakeholders of people from all different uh, areas of the community, some who work for some of the elected, some who work in some of the nonprofit spaces, some of the art spaces, uh, and brought them together on a board, and we convened meetings and talk about what the issues are and how they can get them done. Uh, trying to be solution-oriented instead of people just saying, well, we can't do this, we can't do that. Sometimes you don't know how to do it. And it's not their fault that they don't know how to do it. They're just not educated. And education is a big key to getting things done. So are you inviting to a lot of people who live in Southeast Queens to um, come up a part of this organization? Oh, yeah. It's open. Um, it's It's been funded privately. So none of the money that's been, we don't ask for people to give any money to do anything. Um, we ask for people to come and share their concerns. I remember one of the biggest meetings that I thought was the most important um, is it was actually one of our lower term months and we had maybe 20 people at a meeting. And there were some young people there who were trying to start a nonprofit organization and deal with young people in the community. They had no idea how to start a nonprofit organization. The 501c3 process is very lengthy. It's very expensive. Uh, and it just so happened that at that meeting, we had people like India Sneed, who's an attorney uh, in the community who deals with nonprofits and 501c3s and offered for free to help guide them through that process. And they, I mean, that was just an amazing meeting when they came and they said, this is our issue. And they didn't know if anyone was there to solve their problems. But she was there and said, I'll help you for free. Wow. And again, guys, if you're just tuning in, we have Roy Paul with us in studio. He is our dreamer and doer for the month of December 2015. We're closing it out again with a great dreamer. I, I mean, we had a great show. And we're closing it out with a great dreamer. Um, I, I want to talk about what you've been actually doing when it comes to city politics. I know you were um, involved in some way with the 2013 mayoral election. Um, I know that you hosted a forum and you've done a lot of speaking engagements around the city itself. Can yeah. you talk more about how that's been influential? Yeah, um, I was a political contributor to ABC for two and a half years. And, and through that, I, I was fortunate to develop some great relationships with people like Mayor de Blasio before he was mayor and a few of the other candidates. And um, there was an organization who wanted to put together a, a forum for millennials. And um, all of the candidates agreed at that point um, to attend pre-Wiener and, and after Wiener. So we did two of them. Uh, and I moderated one of them um, at CUNY uh, Graduate School, uh, and then the other one was in Queens at York College. And uh, Mayor de Blasio came to both of them um, to talk about the issues affecting young people. Uh, and then that spiraled into me moderating one with the candidates running for speaker of the city council. They, it was the first time that they wanted to kind of get into the neighborhoods with the city council members who were running for speaker. And I did one for public advocate and the city comptroller, which was very nice. And um, you know, all of those things, I, I think engagement is absolutely critical and key. And so when people say, I don't like debates, I actually heard that comment a few weeks ago. It was, uh, I won't tell you who it was because the person was elected. Uh, and he said, I hate when people debate. I don't like debates. Um, and that is actually how people understand what you think, what's in your head. Um, and as voters, if people are going to be voting for you for whatever office it is, they have a right and an opportunity to come out and hear you talk about your platform. Um, and so I was happy to be able to be a part of those. You spoke about engagement and you also spoke about um, young people getting engaged and making sure that those issues, the issues that we're facing um, are in the forefront and not only on the back burner. Because if we see, you know, historically, the people who vote tend to be a little older, tend to be a little lighter, if not white. And a lot of times elected officials don't necessarily put too much focus on mm -hmm. uh, young people, millennials, people of color. What are some of those effects? Because, you know, you're in the, the world of politics, but you're also still young enough to 
understand social media, how to use Twitter. So what would you say are some of these um, issues that need to be brought to our elected officials? Yeah, the biggest voting block in the United States of America in almost every electoral district is women between the ages of 55 and older, specifically those 65 and older. That is the major minority block um, of voters in almost every electoral district. So when politicians are running for office, they go towards the older women. And if you're in a place like Southeast Queens, they go after the older African-American women. And you will notice that things happen in communities, uh, specifically in Southeast Queens, where it started out having a senior citizen day. Then they had a senior citizen's week. They had a senior citizen. Now they have a senior citizen's month. And they've expanded this because they saw, they saw that there was such a need for people coming to and having breakfasts and lunches and dinner dances for seniors. Seniors get a lot of services, right? They will never take away money from senior citizens program. I sit on a board for one of the largest senior citizens, uh, citizens organizations in Queens. And they treat it very, very well. Politicians love the seniors. No matter who you are, if you look like you can be a senior citizen, the, any elected official will listen to you about whatever concern you have. Young people don't get that same treatment because we don't vote in a block. We're not you know, as engaged as senior citizens are. We don't show up when we're supposed to. At community meetings, you go to community board meetings, by and large, you see people who don't look like us. You know? And the effects of that is critical because there are a lot of services that we could be getting from that, from the city and state level, especially when it comes to college education money. There are Pell Grants and TAP tuition grants, and those are the first ones to be cut when things go wrong. And and I think if young people understood that they could actually be getting resources from the government that we pay for in taxes, then we would be much better off than we are now. So how do we communicate that message to young people? We need people who are engaged to do it. Uh, And it really is uh, local campaigns. A good friend of mine, Andrew Gillen, he's the mayor of Tallahassee, Florida. And he when he first ran for the city commission, he had this Arrived at Five campaign uh, when he was elected. And every person had to bring five of their peers to the polls with them, like literally bring them to round them up in your car and say, you're coming with me to vote. Not just make sure that they know that there's an election, but actually bring them with you. And I think it takes those who are involved and engaged to take it as a burden on their backs to actually bring people with them to the post for them to understand how important it is. Right. No, no, you're absolutely right. And I think it does take that along with the messaging. I think that, you know, you know, we say young people aren't engaged, but look how many turned out to vote for Barack Obama twice. I mean, so, you know, do you think there was a a difference in how President Obama communicates and and got everybody to the polls when it came to this big general election as opposed to the the local elections that really matter? Mm hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So I think one thing we forget about the Obama campaign is that they had the funding to have organizers literally go down to knock on people's doors, put them in a van and drive them to their polling sites. And when you have that kind of like funding for an election, you can do that because that's what we did. I was in college when that happened and we had the shuttle bus going on and off campus all Mm -hmm. day so people can vote. And when I worked on the 2013 uh, mayor election, I was in I was in Frederick Douglass houses at seven o'clock in the morning with a clipboard going knocking on doors, getting people up, getting them breakfast, getting them in the van. And I think that will actually go a lot further than necessarily the messaging. The messaging is important, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the groundwork. Would you agree with that, Roy? Absolutely. And I think, you know, when it comes to President Obama and other people, I, I think we underestimate candidates that are good, you know, like good, decent, solid candidates. There are a lot of candidates out there that aren't very good. And on the local level, if we see those candidates that are lackluster, then we don't feel as inspired to want to go and vote for them. Or if there's no choice. There was an election in Southeast Queens not too long ago, and there was a state assemblywoman who was who was vying to, 
to unseat someone who was um, not technically on the ballot. She was a writing candidate. But a lot of people didn't see that as a viable race. They said, well, she's going to get elected because she's the only Democrat and there's a writing candidate, but, but she's not going to really have a chance unless the, you know, the majority of people go and write her name, in, which is not likely to happen. And so if people don't feel inspired, they won't go out there and vote. And that's why competition is important. No, you're absolutely right about that. Um, Roy, you're doing a lot. Um, and you see, you again, you found Southeast Queens for Community Action. You've been, you made a name for yourself here around the city. Um, what is it that you aspire to do? What do you dreaming to do? What can we expect from Roy Paul 2016 and beyond? Staying alive. Uh, <laughs> Is it that hard as a black man? Well, it's hard regardless of who you are. And, and I mean that seriously. I mean, there are people who I think we take life for granted. And we, we think that, you know, yeah, I'm doing some things and other people are doing things, but we're never doing enough. We should always be pushing and hustling and, and striving to do better and to do more. And life is really that short and that fragile. There are people who are dying every day at all different ages for things that we don't even hear of anymore. Um, and you wake up and someone can be fine on Friday and then you hear that they passed on Saturday morning. So I think, you know, being alive and being healthy and, and doing work in the community, that, that's what I hope to be doing. And I hope to be doing it for as long as I can. Definitely. Again, Roy, we thank you so much for stopping by here at Let Your Voice Be Heard. And I, I think that if there's one thing, actually two things that we can come out uh, after this interview with Roy is, number one, we can always do more, like you said. And again, let's us be that voice. I mean, with, again, when it comes to relying on people, whether it be Barack Obama or elected official, they're not always going to see things. They're not always going to take a stance if it comes to, you know, someone being bullied in a school or, you know, like the, the, the little things. And I think that when it comes to us, we have to let our voices be heard. You have to be that voice. You have to take that stance. You can't be scared to speak up or to do more. And I think, again, thank you, Roy, for being inspirational and just sharing that message with us. On that note, I want to thank everyone who has been supporting Let Your Voice Be Heard in some way or fashion. We have Be Heard Chris, who's always listening and tweeting us every week. We have Miss Deborah. We have Omar. We have a, a, a brother, Omar. brother Omar, excuse me. From the Big Mango. And yes, we do, you know, always listening and supporting us in 2015. Cody Yes, in 2015. Can I shout out some of the po podcast listeners? So, um, Selena, Molly, Grant. You guys always listen. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. No, we definitely do appreciate all of that. Yeah, and on uh, Politically Preposterous, I know we got at least two fans that are always listening all the time. That's Rebecca uh, Harrison and Jessica Tun. So thanks for tuning into our program this year. We appreciate it, guys. And don't worry. When we come back in 2016, it's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. And it's going to be greater than ever. More dabbing. WHCR 94.3 FM.